This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Oh, it's Rosh Chodesh Shvat already. Um, I don't want to scare you, but it's 10 weeks from the Seder night. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's exactly 10 weeks from the Seder night. I mean, it's, the Seder night is Thursday night. I think it's Friday, Friday night. Right, so it's 10 weeks and 2 days from the Seder night. So we're going to talk about Tu Bishvat, which is coming up. Um, but actually, there's a machlokus in the Mishnah of when, when Rosh Hashanah for trees is. Rishamai says it was today, the first day of Shvat. Hillel says that it's the 15th day of Shvat. What's the argument? Like, what's the, the birthday of the trees? Is, 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 they weren't created in Shvat. So we're going, to, we're going to talk about what the argument is. We're going to get into that whole subject matter. But we're going to start off in this week's Pasha, which is Pasha's bow. How many makos happened in Pasha's bow? Three. Arba, Choshech, and Makas Bukhores. How do you know that? Gumadria Bo. And how do you know there were seven in Ve'era? The first two letters. Shh. You want to come here and give the share? Like, hello. <laughs> and thank you very much for all the help. She helped me a lot, helped us a lot on, on the Shabbaton. We appreciate it. We have a curse of for it. Um, so anyway, so this week is Pasha's Bo. Starts off with the Makah of Arba. Very fascinating Dvar Torah on Arba. I didn't put it in my book of uh, Hakar Satov, but if I would have known the Dvar Torah when I wrote the book, I definitely would have put it in the book. And it says like this. It says that Moshe Rabbeinu, he went to Paro and he told Paro that, um, that if you're going to have the Jews work seven days a week, they're going to burn out and you're going to lose your avodim. Your servants are going to die. You can't work. Nobody can work seven days a week on this, le- on this level. So Paro said, what do you think I should do? So Moshe Rabbeinu said, I think you need to give them one day off. So Paro said, which day should I give them off? So he said, I think the seventh day of the week. So Paro actually gave Klyosrol one day a week we didn't work, which was Shabbos. He didn't know that it was Shabbos, right? Moshe Rabbeinu tricked him into it. But we didn't, work in, we, didn't work, we didn't work Shabbos. So it says that when the Arba came, so the locusts, they eat everything. It says that they stopped eating on Shabbos. They would not eat on Shabbos. And Paro saw this, uh, the locusts were not eating on Shabbos. Like, also they stopped eating. They're bugs. They're insects. Why does, why does it say Chazal? Why did they stop eating on Shabbos? Because they had a karsatov. They said, we can't hurt Mitzrayim on Shabbos because they allowed the Jews to keep Shabbos. So insects that are not humans, they're not even animals, they're insects, because they're a bria of God, they're a creation of God, and God's whole Bria is recognition, right, of when somebody does you being gratitude, being grateful. They stopped. Came Friday night, finished. They just sat there. They didn't eat. Just to show you that in the Bria, forget about a human being being thankful, that even insects have in their Bria, you know, to be thankful. So they didn't eat on Shabbos, which is, which is, which is unbelievable. I don't know if the frogs croaked on Shabbos. I'm not sure. I don't know. But um, also a very nice w- word over there. Last week's Pasha, I wasn't here. Um, it said that Moshe Rabbeinu, by Yitzhak, it, sa- it says by, Pasha, by, by the frog, something that it doesn't say by any other plague. I'll tell you what it says. Um, it says that he, in the other ones, he said he prayed that the, ma- the maka should stop. But here, when he told them to get rid of the frogs, 
Let's see what it says. said, if you let my Jews out, right? So he said, get rid of the frogs and I'll let them out. Moshe and Aaron left Paro. And Moshe Rabbeinu screamed, right? So no other marker does it say by Yitzhak that he screamed. So why did he scream by the Tzfardim? So it says that they were making so much noise. They were making so much noise, make, you know, like frogs do, ribbit, ribbit, whatever. So loud, so much noise that he couldn't hear his own tefillah. So when he was damning to Hashem, he couldn't hear his own words. And therefore he had to scream. And we see from here, when a person davens, not to scream, you're never allowed to daven louder than the chazan davens, it's a halacha, but you have to hear what you're saying. So because Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't hear what he was saying, because they were making so much noise, he had to scream. So we learn a halacha, that a person, when you daven, you have to hear the words that you're saying. Not that it disturbs the guy who's standing next to you, or the girl that's sitting next to you, but you have to hear your own words. Yeah. You can't just think the words. You can say, Baruch HaTon Hashem, like that, but you have to hear what you're saying. Yeah. Okay, so, Vayama Hashem Moshe. Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, Bo El Paro, come to Paro. Beautiful Dvatar. Why doesn't it say, Lech El Paro? Go to Paro. Or come to Paro. Go to Paro. So I saw a very beautiful Dvatar. Hashem said, when you go into Mitzrayim, I will be there with you. I will be in the same pain, in the same gullus. I will suffer with you. So, HaKadosh Baruch Hu was by Paro. He was by Paro in the palace. He was in our pain. So he didn't tell Moshe Rabbeinu, go to Paro. Because he said, go to Paro, means that God's not by Paro. He's telling him, go to Paro. He's like, I'm here already. Boel Paro. Come to Paro. In other words, you're not in front of Paro, but I'm in front of Paro. I'm always here with you in pain. So therefore, he didn't use the word lech, go to Paro. He's like, come to Paro, because I'm here already. It's a very deep shot. It's a very beautiful dvatayra. Okay, he says, I made his heart hard. I made all the Egyptians hard hard. Because if they would have let you out on the first dam, I wouldn't be able to plague them another eight times. I want to give them back what they did to you. And the Kleyokar, I don't have it in front of me, the Kleyokar says that every single plague was revenge for what the Arabs did to us. It wasn't that Hashem just came up with Dam, right? It talks about Damnida, that they didn't let the, Jews, the Jewish women go to the mikvah. So Hashem gave them Dam because it was the, they let them go into the water. So the Kenegamida was the water. And the Kenem, they, they, they made them sweat a lot. They don't let them take showers, so they brought them lice. Every single, every single Arov, they made the Jews go hunt wild animals. Many, many of the Jews got killed trying to get the wild animals for their circus, for whatever they had over there. Hashem sent wild animals. Everything that Hashem sent was Mida Kenegamida. So Hashem said, if I, would, if I don't harden his heart and he lets you go out, then I'm not going to get a chance to, to, to show myself to the world and to punish them. Also, reason is I want you to tell this over to your children and your grandchildren. How I played around with the Mitzrayim. and all the 
signs and miracles that I did by them. I want your families, I want your children and your grandchildren to know that I am Hashem. So the question is, why would Hashem send Moshe Rabbeinu on a, a mission that was mission impossible? If I, I know that you're not going to let him out. What am I going for? So just give him the maka and give him another maka and give him another maka. Why, why am I going to talk to this man if I know that I'm not going to let him out? So the Mephoshim say that it seems to be that at this point, after Barad, right, at the last maka was like a bomb maka. It was like a huge maka. And, and Paro said that me, I just want to read you what he says. By Yishlach Paro, by Yishlach Moshe, Paro sent out, they called Moshe, he said to Moshe Rabbeinu, Paro said to Moshe Rabbeinu, I, I've sinned. I, what I'm doing that I didn't let the Jews out is a sin. Hashem HaTzadik. God is the Tzadik. And me and my nation are, are wrong. We're Rishon. How much better can you do than that? The king actually got up and said, I'm a Russia. You're right. Your God is right. And me and my people are Rishon. So Barad was so strong that power was ice and water together. He saw nature fighting each other and being able to be together. He realized that they're wrong. And he still didn't let us out. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, like, maybe it's me. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm not the right shliach. Maybe if I was doing the right job, he would have let you out. He already came to realization. The bar was ice and fire? Ice and fire together. Not ice and water. No, ice, ice and fire together. Two opposite things in nature that work together um, against power. So he, he, but there's also a very interesting, um, very interesting thought I spoke about last week, not here, um, to a class of boys actually, that Moshe Rabbeinu warned them that there's going to be these huge hailstones, right? And it's going to, it's going to knock out a lot of stuff and um, you know, take your cattle in, take your animals in, and after Mitzrayim saw Dam, Tzadeh, Akinim, Arav, Deva, all these different things, there were still people who didn't take, who still didn't believe. It was still atheists. They saw all these things. They didn't believe. So at the end of the day, we spoke about this many months ago. Rationalization. How you can rationalize. And like I said they could rationalize the blood, the blood that's Tzadeh, but this is not going to happen. This is not going to happen. What do you mean? You got every time Moshe Rabbeinu said something's going to happen. It happened. Why don't you take your animals in? Why are you going to let them get killed? The answer is, the human beings rationalize. They're like, yeah, this, this happened, but it was nature, it was a freak of nature, it was this and that. So even after all the Makkahs, they still didn't believe. They still didn't, until Barad. So what Shabbat was saying to himself, Hashem, I think it's me. It's the wrong messenger. The king said that God is right, and we are wrong, and he still didn't let them out. Maybe I'm the wrong guy. So that's when Hashem said, and this is something that we just have to learn. This is a very important lesson. And that is, you do not control your destiny. You do not control. I spoke by the, by the Shabbaton about being the stick in the hand of God. Stop thinking that you control your destiny. The so Moshe Rabbeinu was blaming himself. And Hashem said, Bo el paro, go to paro. And no, it has nothing to do with you. I'm the one who made his heart strong. It's not because you can't talk. It's not because you're not good enough. Stop.
beating yourself up. It's not about you. It's about me. And that's why when Hashem said, come to Paro, even though Moshe Rabbeinu, right, knew that Paro wasn't going to let them out, but Hashem wanted him to know that it wasn't him. We don't run, we think we're in control of our destiny, and that is the biggest mistake of a person, because when you fail, right, or something goes wrong, if you're in control of your destiny, it means you did it. You're full. They're writing an article in Mishpacha. I got a call last night. They're writing an article in Mishpacha on the whole opioid, opioid crisis of kids dying from drugs and heroin and, 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 and all that. So the, the, the person who was writing the article, I don't know what's going to be in the article or not, but I gave her an interview this morning. And she said to me, she asked me a question. Her question is, what is the difference between a boy drug addict and a girl drug addict? Is there a difference? The way they react, the way they get better. Is there a difference, Robert Wallstein? I said, there's a huge difference. I said, what's the difference? I said, girls blame themselves. So if, God forbid, they went through abuse as a child, whether it's sexual abuse or emotional abuse or physical abuse, women, okay, I deal with a lot of battered women, they blame themselves. So this woman, you know, she comes to my house, she's black and blue on her face. And I'm like, what did he do to you? And she's like, no, I just came for some physical. I'm like, no, 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 we need to report this. She says, no, 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 I fell. I fell down the steps. I'm like, Come on, you didn't fall down the steps. That's not falling down the steps, kind of black and blue marks, whatever. No, Rabbi Wallenstein, no, I fell down the steps, whatever it is. Or, yes, I deserve to get, to get beat, you know, because the soup wasn't hot. Or the fork wasn't on the right side, it was on the left side. I'm like, are you, cr-? like, what is wrong with you? The guy is abusing you. Why are you going home? Why are you making excuses for him? And the answer is that women... Are always, they always feel guilt, much more than men. We don't feel guilt. We blame everyone else. Right? It's everyone else's fault. Came to Adam, what did Adam say? It's her fault. Mashiach's not here. Says the women are going to bring Mashiach. If he's not here, your fault. It's always your fault. You didn't give me the right directions. Whatever it is, it's your fault. Guys, we, we don't blame ourselves. Women blame themselves. So when a person goes through trauma... She's like, I could have closed the door. I could have ran out. I could have. I said, you were six years old. What, what, what are you talking about? I could have. I should have. I lost it. I could have. So because they, they blame themselves for the trauma, it's another level of trauma. The blaming yourself is trauma. The blaming yourself, fixing that, that it's not your fault, is huge. When someone walks around their whole life, everything is my fault, Right? They have this huge trauma that they have to deal with. The guy, it's like, no, it was his fault. It was my Rebbe's fault. It was this guy's fault. It was that guy's fault. Girls don't do that. The girls are like, it's my fault. They look inwards. It's my fault. They look in the mirror. It's my fault. I could have. I should have. I would have. And that itself is a huge trauma. That is part of the other trauma, which, which guys don't have. So to women that I'm talking to, right, specifically, you got to stop thinking that everything is your fault because... When a person thinks that it's your fault, it means that you think you have control. It can't be my fault if I don't have control. If I don't have control of the situation, I can be my fault. So if women think it's always their fault, it means that they always think that they have control. So they could have controlled the situation differently. But it's not true. We don't have control. I'm going to tell you a story. Um, so I have a very close friend. I became a very close friend of his. His name is William Aboud. 
William Abud lives in, in Great Neck. And um, he worked for a company called FXCM. FXCM, I got very close to them. They actually had my BCA girls come. They're a platform. They're, they're amazing. It's a platform on Wall Street that trades funds, trades all the different currencies of the world. So if you want to buy English money or Russian money and you want to play the market of monies, this is the platform. This is where you go on your computer. So I was invited. I, I became friendly with them. I brought my girls and they helped me with BCA and they gave us a lot of charity and they helped us out a lot. And I actually brought the girls to see the place because one of the main partners is a guy that drove a taxi and made nothing, a Bukharian. And his luck, his mazel was that the, ta- the, the taxi or the limo that he drove was a, a, a huge guy on the market who traded funds. He didn't know how to trade funds. He did nothing. He was a, uh, a guy who came from Bukharia. He didn't know anything. He didn't know how to speak English. And he used to listen to this guy's phone calls. So he used to drive him out to Jersey, wherever he used to drive him out. So he asked this guy, could you teach me while we're driving? Could you tell me like how this thing works? And this guy used to teach him. He was a young guy. And he listened. And he listened. And he opened up his own place in competition with that guy, whatever. And, and, he, and he got, it's all Jewish guys. And just to show you that if you come from nowhere, if you really want, if you really want, I mean, Hashem has to help you, but you have to be smart. You know, if you want, what? Very big, very smart. But not busy. He knew how to build a platform. He knew computers. He learned how to build. Anyway, so these guys, famous, all the guys from FXCM, they gave so much tzedakah. You have no idea. To everybody. To everybody. Five partners. One day, about two years ago, the laws of monetary laws in Europe changed. And one day, the banks changed all the laws. And because they changed all the laws, the people that owned money sold, had to sell everything. So there was a dumping on the, on the exchange. And when you have a dumping on the exchange, let's say the value is 50, it's going, when everybody's selling, I'll take 30, I'll take 20, I'll take 10, to zero. They lost all their money in one day. In not one day, in one moment. And you have to have a lot of money behind this, like the banks have to have an FDIC. There was no bank, it was, they were finished, it folded. Don't ask. They lost everything in one moment. And for the last two years, they were bought out, whatever was left, and then they threw them out, and, and they were lucky to come out with their skin, okay? It doesn't exist anymore, this platform, FXCM. It's traded on the stock market. Gone, goodbye. You can't trade in America. You can only trade in Europe, but they don't own it anymore. This man lost everything. He's about Shuva. He's a firm guy in Great Neck. He davens three times a day. He's, bringing, he, he's a tzaddik. And he's in my house last week to talk to me about something else. And I look at him, I say, William, I want to ask you a question. Just, just, just if you could answer me this answer. I said, how you, because this is what I do, I think. What, how are you dealing with God? Like Hashem, we gave, we built buildings, we built yeshivas. You gave so much tzedakah. How could Hashem do this to you? In one moment, you lost everything. It's nothing. Everything. How do you go to Davin every morning? How do you get up in the morning and say, Moda'ani? Right? It's, a, it's a heavy question, but I'm real. I want to know. I want to know. Because if you could tell me, then I could learn how does someone who gives away so much money to Hashem's people, and Hashem took all his money away in one second. He never even had a chance to, to save, to put away. 
It was gone. You woke up in the morning, there was no more trading. He looks at me, he says, you want to know how I deal with Hashem? I'll tell you a story. And I asked him permission to say over the story by my share. He said, he's also a you know, refugee. He came from I don't know where. Iran. Came from Iran. Zero. Never had anything. I don't know if he's, he came from front parents, whatever it is. And he's a very smart guy. He got a job on Wall Street. A low-line low low line job. And he got a job in a company that was trading currencies. And they so were so small that the whole company was in one room and they had two long tables together and the traders would have a computer and all around the table, they didn't, they, you don't have your own desk, all around this table were all the different traders, 50 traders, whatever, all around, and everybody was trading. And he was making a little couple of dollars. The guy next to him was very, very brilliant. And he was a non-Jewish guy and they became... Very close friends. They sat for, I think it was 15 years he was doing this, or 10 years, whatever it was. And they became very close friends. And they, everyone would help each other. Like, what does your customer want? I have it. My customer want have, who has this? They have it. And they were all trading. That's a trading floor. One day, the guy was sitting next to him, who's like the most brilliant of them all, gets a phone call from a, a very, very big company that this company wants to create like an FXC, like that type of thing. Uh, but they want to create the biggest and best, uh, what's it called, trading floor, that they're going to be the number one who trades currencies in the world. So they called this guy and they told him, you have an open book. You create this platform, you hire the staff, I don't care what you pay them, whatever it takes, we are going to be the elite. They were, they were a big company, um, and that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to trade currencies outside of their stock market. So he was sure, being that he's this guy's best friend, that he's going to hire him first. He hires the girl that sits across from him. I need you to come to the new company. He's leaving this company, offers her crazy money, and he starts to pick people all around, traders, to build his team, Right? to build this platform that's going to be the biggest in the world and the number one. And he's sitting there and everybody's getting jobs and William's not getting a job. He doesn't understand what's going on over here. This guy's my buddy and he was good at what he does. He figured he's going to be the last. He's going to hire him the last. He's the, the last guy. The last guy gets the most money, right? He'll be on top. He'll be on the other side and all the people will be in between. And one day he hears that this guy finished hiring. He's got his team. He says, I, I became from, I became from, I was about Shuva. And they were paying these people 10 times what they were getting in the brokerage that they were to take them out. You're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars salary. And he was just starting. He's like, Hashem, I don't understand. I became about Shuva. Right? I became from, all the work I did on myself. He picked everyone. Everyone around the table but me. He said, Rewalsing for six months. I was, I, I couldn't, I, 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 Hashem, I don't understand you. This guy's not Jew, this one's not Jew, that one's not a Jew. A couple of Jews, but like, why, why did he leave me out? Six months, he didn't get an answer, and he was down, he said, you know what? You have to have me talking, you're here to share, whatever, you have to have me talking, ah, okay. A year and a half later, in the, tra- in the World Trade Center, 
on the 86th floor. The plane hit the 86th floor. No one had a chance to get out. He was, they were all working for a company called Fitzgerald. The most people that died in the, in 9-11 was that company. They lost their whole company, hundreds of people. Every single one that was at that table that was picked died on that day. Not one of them walked out. He said, Ray Wallstein, you're asking me how I'm dealing with what happened to FXCM? He said, once that happened, every day after 9-11 is a present. I should not be here. I should have been there. I didn't get the job. He said, every single one of those people were my friends. The girl across, dead. The guy next to him, dead. They didn't have a chance. The plane didn't hit below or above. It hit the floor that all those people were on. So he says, I should have questions? Me? He said, Rabbi Wallerstein, from 9-11 on, I don't have any questions. Every time I wake up, it's like, I shouldn't be here. I should have been with them. So today is an amazing day. If you're not supposed to be here and you're here, you're going to make the best day out of it that you can. So I was sitting there, I'm like, so you don't have any questions? He goes, no, I have no questions. My questions are over. I thought about it when he left, and I'm like, really? That's a, good, that's a crazy story, I, I, I agree, but we say Moda'ani because we're not supposed to be here every day. You're not supposed to, we're not supposed to be here every day. We have to look at it, that if I'm here today, that's a crazy gift. I need to do the best that I can today. Rav Steinman, all of a shalom, I said it, I said it over in the shir, it blew me away. So he, he was 103 years old, he died. Last year, we davened a few times because he had, he had pneumonia. And he was in the hospital, making it, not making it, we davened three pneumonias last winter, and he made it through all three at 103 years old. Without any, you know, those shots and all that stuff. Just three times pneumonia at 103 years old. So on his way out the third time, the doctor says to him, the Israeli doctor says to him, Rabbi, people much younger than you don't make it out of this kind of pneumonia even once. You're 103 years old. You had pneumonia three times. You're a walking miracle. And in one second, he looks at the doctor and says, so are you. You think because I have a pneumonia that you're a walking, you're a walking miracle. You think because the guy would have been on that floor, would have been hit by the plane. Whoa, what a miracle. Right? Wrong. That you're alive without pneumonia is just as much a miracle as you're alive with pneumonia. No difference. And that's how a person has to look at their life. So William is like, yeah. So it was like, it was like, like it's a silly question you're asking me. If I have a problem with how would FXCM, he says, well, we'll find another business. Akash Bokhu will give us whatever it is. He says, Rabbi Wallstein, I was on that floor. And he had, I think he had all his children since 9-11. So I would have no children, no wife. I would be off this earth without anything, without any remnants. And I was angry for six months. I'm about truth. How can Hashem do this to me? Guy didn't give me a job. Would have been done. So that's really how a person has to look at themselves and has to look at, and has to look at life. And that really will change your life. Like, I got up this morning. Because that's really the essence of Moda'ani. The essence of Moda'ani is, thank you, Hashem, that I got up this morning. Because you know what? A lot of people, I don't have the numbers. Maybe we could Google it. How many people die in their sleep? 
I'm sure it's a big number. You Google it. What? It's the best, but how many people died? But you didn't die. You woke up in the morning. See, if to thank Hashem, I didn't die in my sleep. Instead, not I was sick and I got better. You were dead every time you go to sleep. You're you're in the other world. You cannot wake up again, right? So a person that's the modani in the morning has to be such a strong modani to appreciate. A person has to appreciate where you know that he has life, and, and I think that you know the depression and all this depression that people, this darkness that people are in, is because they don't realize. That, they're, that, 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 that there's no guarantee to life, and therefore, if you woke up in the morning, you can change the world. You can do so much. There's so much you can do that you woke up in the morning. You, you, can, you can give someone a smile. You can help someone across the street. You can invest in something. You can, you can say one word to Hashem. You can say Amen. You can make a bracha. It, it's not normal, the, the, the possibilities that a person has. And you have to, a person has to stop beating themselves up. Stop looking at yourself and saying, it's my fault, it's my fault, it's my fault. 90% of the things that happened to us in life was not our choice. The only choice we have is what we do with the things that we have no choice. That you're a girl, that those are your parents, that that's your family, that's what you look like. All the stuff in your, in your life, right, is mostly that you're not six foot, I wanted to be six foot two, I wanted to play basketball. Every time I meet a tall guy, I ask him, did you play ball when you were younger? I'm like, so many guys say no, I'm like, why not Shem wasted on you? Like, why couldn't he give me six two, six three? I would have been a much better ball player. Like, what? He gave it to you and you didn't use it. The guy's looking at me like, that's all that counts in life because you're six two means you have to be a ball player. I'm like, yes, you're six two. You have to be a ball player. You could have been five ten like me and done business whatever you're doing accounting, but six two. Like, why not Shem give it to me? It's not your choice. So yeah, people play around with hormones with other stuff. Most of the time it doesn't work anyway, but whatever. I don't know, I don't know if you should play around with that. You, you know, you should be happy with who you are, I guess. I don't know. It's a question. I don't know what a rough with Paskin. If you, you know, you want to grow, you want to be tall. Probably if it's not dangerous, you know, you can always better yourself. You let it wear makeup. You know, it's not, it's not an Avera. The Gemara talks a lot about makeup. I'm learning with Sector Shabbos. There's a lot in the Gemara about makeup. It seems to be that they wore makeup. They wore things around their necks that smelled well, smelled good. Are you allowed to take that on on Shabbos? Are you not allowed to take that on Shabbos? So it's Masha from the Gemara that there wasn't a problem with, you know, with makeup and making up the hair. It's a very beautiful, a very beautiful medrash. I don't understand why, because there was nobody else, but it says that, that when Chava married Adam, Hashem braided her hair. That's what it says. He braided her hair with jewels in it. Like, who did she have to look good for? She only had, there was only one guy in the world, right? But that's part of being a woman. So and that Hashem, that's a, you know, that's a pretty good hair, hairdresser. You know, God actually made, why does Hashem have to make braids in her hair? doesn't say why. It's for her beauty. Hashem made the braids in her hair. What that means, I don't know what that means. But it's like, I like things that are a little out of the box. That's very out of the box. He walked into the chuppah, and then he braided her hair. So there is a thing about, you know, makeup and things like that. I know there's people against makeup, for makeup, but the Gemara talks about a lot about the Isra of makeup on Shabbos and, and a lot of different halachas about perfumes and other things and carrying and not carrying. So I guess you're allowed to make yourself better. Normal. Normal. It doesn't mean you have to have plastic surgery. That's not what it says. But that's, you know, that's part of people's perception of who they are. They look, you know, they look in the mirror and... And the problem is that many, many people look in the mirror and they see this loser, this, 
person who can't do anything, and it's because they don't realize that they're created by Kodesh Baruch Hu, a certain way, to look a certain way, to be a certain way, from a certain family, and that's the best that, that you look into that mirror, instead of seeing the, the bad stuff about yourself, you have, to see, you have to see the potential. The whole thing is potential. And that brings me to a different subject. And that subject is Tu Bishvat. Coming up, Tu Bishvat. Today was Bishchodesh, but that's what Beis Shammah, we paskin like Beis Hillel. And Beis Hillel, we paskin that Tu Bishvat is the 15th of Shvat. What is Tu Bishvat? What are we celebrating? Trees have birthdays? Trees don't have birthdays. What's the machlokas? Beishamai says today. Beishillo says in 15 days. What's the difference between today, right? January was it 17th? And in, in two weeks from now, what's the difference? Tu Bishvat is celebrating the beginning of the sap. The sap, not spring, no. The sap going into. Tu Bishvat's not spring. Spring is uh, March 21st. Tu Bishvat's in two weeks. It's in the middle of January. End of January, right? So, now, we're celebrating the estric tree, specifically the estric tree, when the sap begins to come from the roots into the tree. Beishamai says it starts with Chodesh. Beishillel says it starts on the 15th. Now, if you're going to celebrate the tree, wouldn't you celebrate the blossoms in Nisan? We make a bracha on the tree. Wouldn't you celebrate even better right before the summer when the apple and the orange and the peach is on the tree? Now you go outside. Last night I wanted to bring a, a dead twig into, into, uh, into my shear to show everybody. Right? But if you go outside, you'll see the trees have nothing on them. There's no leaves. There's no fruit. They're dead. They look dead. They're not dead. They look dead. Why do you celebrate two bishvat? Right? When you can't see the sap in the tree, we, okay, it's going into the tree, big deal. You, you, you're looking at dead trees in the middle of the winter, right? Tonight there should have been snow on those trees. Dead trees, no leaves, no fruit, no buds, no flowers, nothing. Totally without anything on them. Why would I celebrate that day and not celebrate the day that the fruit is on the tree? And the answer is that Judaism, Yiddish guy, celebrates potential, not the goal. The potential of the tree begins in 15 days on Tu Bishvat when the sap and the juice from the earth starts to go through the roots. In fact, you're supposed to daven on Tu Bishvat for a good esrig because that's the Rosh Hashanah of the esrig. So every man is supposed to pray on Tu Bishvat that when it comes to Sukkot, he should have a beautiful esrig. We don't celebrate the goal, the fruit. We celebrate the potential. The potential of a tree begins in the middle of the winter. There are no leaves. There are no fruits. And if the tree would look in the mirror, he would be very upset that Happy New Year and look what I look like. I have no beauty whatsoever. And what Hashem is telling all of us is we don't celebrate the product. We celebrate potential. Amen. And that's why we celebrate weddings. Because I told you a few, a few months ago that I have a friend. 
He no longer writes a check. When he goes to a wedding, we write a check to the people. He postdates it five years. So the wedding is January 25th, right? 2018. He's writing January 25th, 2023. I said, are you crazy? They're going to lose the check. They're going to lose the check. He goes, listen, too many times I give him a check. Four months later, they get divorced. They keep my money. Then she gets remarried. I got to send her a check. Then he gets remarried. I got to send him a check. You know what? If they're married for five years, let them cash it. So the truth is, the truth is that we should celebrate the 50th anniversary. We should make, we should invite a thousand people that marry for 50 years together and they're still married, right? To the same, same, same husband and wife and they have children and they have grandchildren and they have great-grandchildren. That should be the wedding. A band, 20 pieces, thousand people. They made it. Married 50 years. And the answer is, what's the potential left in that marriage? Another 10 years, another 20 years, nobody lives past 120. So the potential is much less than when the person gets married. So what we celebrate when you see a chassan and kala, they just got married, that moment underneath the chuppah was celebrating the potential of these two people who have no children, who have no grandchildren, who have no great-grandchildren, who didn't build a bias yet, right? The potential of a household, of a marriage, of tzedakah, of children, of grandchildren, of great-grandchildren. So we spend a lot of money. We spend a lot of money on food. We spend a lot of money on flowers. We spend a lot of money on photography, right? When it comes to the 50th anniversary, they take the two old people to a restaurant. The grandchildren, the great-grandchildren come. Bobby and, right? They spend a little bit of money. There's no band because it's too loud. It aggravates them, right? The pictures, the flashes in their eye. And, you know, they sit with, with their grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Eh, they sit in a restaurant. Well, somebody makes it in the house. It lasts for an hour, two hours. There's no photography. There's no 1,000 people because the potential after 50 years is much less than the potential of the first year. So we as Jews, we celebrate potential. And therefore, to Bishvat, we celebrate the yantif of the tree when it looks the worst, when it looks dead because the potential of the tree right now is the greatest. Because it's not, it's not alive. It's not much, it's not very alive. So now it's starting. So now it has the biggest potential from this point. Four or five months is going to be a fruit. As you get closer to the fruit, the potential is less. Because you already have the flower. You already have the bud. So we're celebrating potential. And we're celebrating when you have the fruit. We have a meeting in my house that we have 15 fruits minimum on Tubishvat. It's my father's meeting. We have 15 to 20 fruits. So you have Many different nuts, and you have almonds, all the ha'etzes, and then we have a, also we have a, we always have a, um, a shachianu, and some fruit juices. It's a big yantif by us. You can't eat supper. You eat all those fruits, you can't eat supper. It's a very, very big yantif. And, and, and the, the kavana that you're supposed to have is that when you look at the fruit on your plate, tu bishvat, right? We're gonna, you're all gonna go shopping now, you can get dried fruits and everything. That fruit that's on your plate, on tu bishvat, was not existence. Last year, Tu Bishvat, the tree was dead. So I'm eating, right, what the potential of the tree produced. And that's a yantif. You have to understand, Tu Bishvat's a real yantif because we don't say tachlan. The men, we don't say tachlan. And the only time you don't say tachlan is a yantif, or shchaydesh, right, or Shabbos. Why don't you say tachlan on Tu Bishvat? What's the holiday for humans? It's not a holiday for humans. It's a holiday for trees. 
Tachron is about asking Hashem forgiveness for your Averis. Why don't you ask Hashem forgiveness for your Averis on Tu B'Shvat? What kind of Yantav? It's a real Yantav. And the answer is a beautiful answer. Because Tachron is to ask forgiveness for something that you did wrong. There's no potential there. We're celebrating potential. We're celebrating hope. So if I stand and I'm like, I stole, I did this, I that, 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 right? That's not potential. That happened already. The opposite of potential is something that happened already. There's no potential. It happened. Right? There's no potential in me. I'm drinking water. Once the cup's finished, there's no potential. I'm going to finish the cup because the cup's finished. So if I didn't have Vera already, to say I didn't have Vera on Tu B'Shvat is the opposite of Tu B'Shvat. Tu B'Shvat, I'm like... It's a new year. It's, I look, I look in the, in the mirror, there's nothing there, but I know there's gonna be something there. And I'm celebrating the potential that something's gonna happen good and something's gonna be a fruit. At the same time, I'm hitting myself for something I did. It doesn't go together. So you don't say tachma. It's a very big day of hope. Of hope, because we are compared to the tree. In Kabbalah, a human being is compared to an etasada. We're compared to the tree. So you can take a branch tonight and you can go to the mirror. And you can have the branch and you can look in the mirror and you can say, I feel like you many times, Mr. Branch, without any flowers. I look in the mirror and I feel like I can't do anything. But just like you, not you, it's because you broke the branch off already, but just like all the branches out there that look like you, in Mitzvah Hashem in three months are going to have flowers and they're going to have fruits, right? Therefore, I am going to have those flowers and fruits also. The reason we're compared to trees is because the, the giving tree, the tree of all God's creations in Tzomeach, right? There are four levels that God created. There's Domain, which is a rock. Tzomeach, which is a plant. Chai, which is an animal. Medaber, which is someone who speaks. Tzomeach is the second level, right? So Tzomeach, I understand. I'm an Adam. I'm the top level. Surely if it's Tzomeach, a tree that looks dead, I know, because I'm eating the fruit of the tree from last year. It's in front of me, Tupishvat. I'm eating an orange. The orange was coming from a tree that, that, that last year at this time looked dead. Right? So the same thing with me. I'm also, for surely I'm a Tzomeach, I'm, I'm an Adam, I'm, I'm a Madaba. So therefore, for sure, even though I might look like a twig right now, that's what I think of myself, but my potential, in fact, my potential is greater than the person that doesn't look like a twig. Because if I'm coming from here, all the way down here, and I end up over here, that's much bigger potential than the guy that's over here. He can only go up to here. But I'm not in a good place right now. So I have to focus on what I could become. And people don't do that. They look in the mirror and they're like, I'm a loser. One of our, one of our greatest therapies in the ranch, which I felt was very important outside of the horses, and I saw this in many of the different places that I went, is farming. Because two things. In farming, we call it agricultural therapy. You learn that a seed, which is nothing, if you look at it, you put it in the ground and you get a a whole vine of, of tomatoes. Each girl who feels that whatever I touch falls apart, I never did anything in my life, whatever I touch falls apart, she becomes a farmer. And she's like, Rabbi Wallstein, you have to taste my tomato. My tomato. How is it your tomato? And the answer is, I put the seed in the ground, I watered it, I took care of it, it's my tomato. These girls, right, some of them were Hasidic girls that were there, they would never touch dirt. Like, ugh, want me to farm? And I came there, they were sitting in the dirt, planting all over the place, 
and it, it was amazing. But I have to say that when they put the seeds in the ground, that wasn't the, that wasn't the therapy. The therapy was when they began to grow. In the ground, you see ground. You put the seed in the ground, you don't see nothing. You don't see the potential. The whole thing is godless. The whole thing to me is the proof of God. Where does the seed get its energy from? What, what, what's the energy in the soil? What, 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 no, I'm saying, where does it get, the, where does, where's their energy in the compost? I'm, I'm saying there's no battery, there's no coal, there's no fire. Where does it get its energy from? Right? And it's pushing through six inches of packed dirt. It's amazing. Hashem put it in the seed. It's in the seed. And the seed has to rot. It rots first. You all did that thing when you were in first grade with that bean inside the jar, and you watched it rot, and then it grew up, and it grew down. We thought it was amazing, right? So, so to understand that the dirt has energy in it, because the sun's not reaching it. It's not, you can't even say it's getting energy from the sun. That's once, it, that's once it breaks the earth. But when it's underneath the earth, that little apple seed is the power to become an apple tree that has 250 apples on it. How could you be an atheist? You have to be an idiot. You have to be, you have to have, no, not an idiot. You have to have a reason to get rid of God. Where's the energy in the seed? Where's the energy in a human being? Do you know what it would take to warm a, a, a room the size of you that it should be 98.6 for 90 years? You know how much coal, oil, gas? You're walking around at 98.6 if you're not sick and you're 100. 102, you're 98.6 for 90 years. Where's the oil? Where's the, where's the, where's the gas? Where's the, where's the coal? Where's the wood? What's keeping you at 98.6? And if you drop down a little bit, you become very sick. Where's that energy coming from? From your food? Where does, it, where, where does food make heat? The whole, the whole human being that Hashem created that by eating food, you can create this 98.6. Oh my, you go to Florida, I mean, 98.6? That's too hot to lay in the sun. You can't lay in the sun in Florida at 98.6. You're frying. You're at, you're, inside of your body is 90, almost 100 degrees. People don't realize this. You're walking around, you're 100 degrees. You're, you're, you're in the middle of the summer in the desert. You're 100 degrees for, you should be 120 years. You're burning at 100 degrees for 120 years. Where is that coming from? It's from him. The same energy that's in, uh, a seed. Potential. How could someone not believe in Hashem? So last night, I told a very cute story that I, I had a very crazy brain. I'm very out of the box. The part of me that's very out of the box is I have a crazy imagination. Crazy imagination. As a kid, I had the biggest hockey games in the middle of Gemara. I would take a Cheerio, that was the puck, and I would have a whole hockey game. The was like, what are you doing with that Cheerio? I'm like, no, I'm just moving it from left to right. I was having a hockey game with the Rangers, with Montreal. I had this crazy imagination. So, I'm imagining that you have a packet of apple seeds, tomato seeds, whatever you want, in the store. And you want to grow something in, the, in your backyard, right? So it has eight seeds in it. So you go in your backyard and you plant, it's about, you, you're supposed to put six, six, six to eight inches underneath the surface, right? Because you have rain and stuff. So you put it six to eight inches underneath the surface. That's, that's about that, okay? And you plant these eight seeds. And they're terrified, the seeds, because they were, they, were ba- they were in a paper thing on, on a shelf. Now all of a sudden, they're in the dirt. 
and it's dark, and they're talking to each other, and they're like, what do you think is going on? And the guy's like, listen, the way it works, I, I, I read the back of the packet, and the way it works is that they put you six inches on the ground, and then you're supposed to grow and grow and grow, and there's something called the surface, and when you break the surface, I don't know what this is, but there's something called the sun, and then there's something called rain, and there's something that's supposed to be amazing. You grow these, like, leaves, and there's wind, and it blows through your leaves, and the guy sounds like he's on smoking stuff, right? Like, because the other seat's like, what? what other world? We're in the dirt. Like, what are you talking about? By the way, one of the, another very good therapy is pottery. Because when a girl takes, when you take dirt, right, and part of the therapy is you show them, here is dirt. Dirt has no value. It's dirt. We're going to make something from nothing that is going to be so beautiful and so useful. And they, they do this pottery with their hands. They have a wheel. And they do this pottery with their hands. If they have a kern, they can actually ceramic it and color it. And you see that from dirt, right? From clay, from dirt, from clay, you can create something very beautiful. The most important thing to teach a human being is potential. The potential of a seed is to grow and end up on your salad, being part of your salad. The potential of dirt is to make bricks, which build buildings, is to make pottery. The lowest things in Hashem's world, which is domain, makes the most amazing things. Buildings are made from domain, from rocks, from stone, from brick, from, from cement. That's all domain. From domain, the lowest level, look what you build. So anyway, so these eight seeds are talking to each other. So they okay, let's push. Now it's very hard to push in packed earth if you're a seed. You got no feet, you got no arms, right? How does a seed push? How does that plant push? I don't know. I have no answer. I can't answer you. I never lived under the ground. I don't know how it works, right? But they have this energy to push, but they're pushing one inch, two inches. It takes a long time. And they're already two inches into the dirt. Four, four of them are like, listen, this whole thing's a story. There's no sun, because they never saw a sun. There's no sky. We're going to keep pushing in the earth, right? We're already rotting. We're going to keep pushing in the earth, and that's all we're here for. There's nothing's going to happen. Let's stop right here. Let's just, the, four, the eight of us, let's open a, you know, let's open like a, a tavern, right? A bar. And we'll hang out. We'll chill on the corner. Chill three inches under the earth. Away. They didn't know how many inches they are under the earth. That's it. We're not going anymore. We're not going to be a bunch of fools and push and push and sweat and push. And what we're going to do our whole life is push through the dirt. And people, some people feel that way. My whole life, all I'm doing is pushing through the dirt. So four of them, out. Now you have four left. They're like, ah, come on. I mean, that's not what it's all about, just being... And they die. Those seeds die. Not every seed you put into the earth lives. They're partying. They're chilling. They're gone. You got four left. And they're pushing another two inches. And it's another two weeks. And they're like, you know what? Those guys that died, those guys who were hanging out on the corner, chilling till 4 o'clock in the morning, doing nothing with their life, right? Maybe they were right. We, we, we're pushing two more weeks. Same dirt. And they're having this discussion. This is my imagination. They're having this discussion. They're an eighth of an inch below the surface. They just need another eighth of the inch. But they don't know that because they've been pushing. They don't see anything. And two of them stop. And they're like... We're not a bunch of idiots. We're not doing this anymore. Hashem, Ganeiden, another world. Mashiach, right? Compared to the sun and the, and the rain and the wind. Ah, we're in this dirt. We're in this world. We're pushing. We're davening. Ah, stop doing this. We don't believe in any of this stuff. And you're this far 
from seeing the truth. And the other two are like, listen, we pushed this much already. We'll push, we'll continue pushing, we'll see what happens. Two days later, they break surface. Now, my head, when you work for something and you believe in something, and you're pushing and you're pushing and you're pushing, and all of a sudden that butterfly, you know, begins to fly, or those seeds break earth and there's sun. They're coming from the darkest place, and there's sun, and there's rain, and everything they heard comes to fruition. The greatest moment in a butterfly's life, the greatest moment in a seed's life, the greatest moment in a human's life is when he dies, not when he's alive. Because when he dies, he sees God, and he realizes that all the stuff he did his whole life was true. Because then there's no more question. And the first thing a person sees when he dies is the Shekhinah. And for people who didn't believe in it, it's the worst moment. Because, oh my God, I did all those sins, I didn't believe in it. And the ones who did what they were supposed to, they're like, oh my God, it's true. And everything I believed in is true. So that moment that they break surface, and then from there it's party time. Because they grow and they grow and they grow. And they become an apple tree. These two guys become two apple trees. And on those two apple trees, there are hundreds of apples. And in those apples, there are 10, 12 seeds. And because they didn't stop pushing, all of a sudden, there's 12,000 seeds just like them. Some that will believe and some that will not believe. That was my, as a kid, that was my head. That I saw these seeds and they were talking to each other and all that. But it's the truth. It's the MS. It's, it's what Tu Bishvat's about. Tu Bishvat's about trees. Tu Bishvat's about seeds. You don't get trees without seeds. And those seeds, before they became a tree and they were able to give fruit, had to suffer. They had to rot. They had to push. They had to suffer. That's the potential. The potential is being in the dirt. The potential is pushing. But look what comes from them. Comes from them the tree, the fruit, that you're making the bracha, that you're celebrating their birthday. Because the birthday of Tu Bishvat, the holiday of Tu Bishvat, is potential. Nothing has more potential than a tree. Because you read the giving tree, the tree is a tzomeach that Hashem gave that gives the most to the world. Tomato gives a tomato. But a fruit tree, or a tree, you get fruit, you get shade, you get wood to build everything that we do with the wood. The tree gives more than any other tzomeach. So the celebration of a tree is a celebration of the potential of the thing that can give you the most. And therefore, if you have to go look in the mirror because you don't think much of yourself, take a branch tonight off a tree, not someone, not your next-door neighbor. Take a branch of a tree and just put it next to your face and say, you know, you look dead, and sometimes I look dead. But I know that from you is coming a fruit, and I know that from me is going to come fruit. And that's the celebration of Tu Bishvat. We should all be zoicha to be in Eretz Yisrael and to celebrate Tu Bishvat with the Sheva Minim of Eretz Yisrael B'Karri. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.